Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by Corita Kent. She said, One purpose of art is to alert people to things they might have missed. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschen. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you to move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn about each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist and author Danny Gregory and the folktale. The Three Dolls. Announcements. So I've got a bunch of classes coming up uh, here at the Indianapolis Art Center. I'll be teaching a four-day plein air workshop in August, um, an intermediate painting class, and an animal painting class in the summer. Um, I'm happy to announce that I will be teaching at the September 2016 Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. There I'll be doing a two-day workshop, Victorian flower painting, um, where I'm going to dive into amazing history there. Adult coloring books have been in uh, for a while now, but that is not a new invention, guys. Uh, During the Victorian era, people loved, loved painting botanical flower books. So in this Victorian flower painting class, we're going to talk about that history and look at a bunch of awesome examples and create our own. And then we're going to paint real plants that I'm going to bring in. It's just going to be really, really fun couple of days. Then I've also got a workshop I'm going to do at the Art and Soul Retreat that's called The Secret Language of Symbols, where we're going to look at symbols colors and tattoos and from graffiti and pirate flags and how we can incorporate that into our artwork. So if you want to register for either of those, you want to go to artandsoulretreat.com. Danny Gregory is our interviewee for the day. Um, He's written nearly a dozen internationally best-selling books on art and creativity He's the co-founder of Sketchbook School, has tens of thousands of students worldwide. He lives in New York City. I found out about Danny Gregory's work through his sketch journal books like Everyday Matters, The New York Diary. These books are filled with sketches, personal thoughts that give you a glimpse into his life and feelings. And and having read them, I feel like I know him, even though I don't. And I think it's a rare artist who can open themselves up so much that we connect with them, that we understand them or even maybe see ourselves reflected in them. His other books on creativity, he's made more recently, Art Before Breakfast, A Zillion Ways to Be More Creative, No Matter How Busy You Are, and other similar titles. And they offer up ideas on how to stick with your passion for art and how to allow observation and the process of 
creating to shine light on what's important and how you want to live your life. So for more information about Danny, you want to visit his website. It's dannygregory.com, D-A-N-N-Y-G-R-E-G-O-R-Y. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with the amazing and exciting Danny Gregory. Welcome, Danny Gregory, to the show. Great. To, glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you are. First question, what's the story of how you became an artist? Well, you know, that presupposes that I think of myself as an artist, and I kind of wrestle with that. I think, um, uh. you know, I think that that's, <laughs> that's a, a psychological issue as much as anything else. But the way I became interested really in making art was something that started when I was fairly um, in advanced years. I was in probably my late 30s when I really started kind of committing to to drawing on a regular basis. I think it was something that I had done when I was much younger, you know, like we all do when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. But certainly by the time I got to high school, I was, it was less and less something that I focused on. And mm -hmm. when I became an adult, I really um, didn't think of myself as a visual creator event at all. I was, I wrote stuff, but I didn't really make art. So, um, but then my life changed really dramatically one day, mm. um, June 9th, I was, um, I was married and mm. I had a son who had just been born. He was nine months old. Mm. And, um, my wife, Patty was, um, a creative person as well. She was uh, in the fashion world. She was a, a, f um, a fashion director and a stylist. Oh. And on that particular day, I was I was working in advertising, um, and I was doing a photo shoot. Um, and Patty was also getting ready to do a photo shoot, and she was going to get on the subway um, in the West Village. I live in New York City, hmm. and um, it was a hot day, and she was preoccupied. And somehow she stumbled and she fell onto the tracks of the subway. Mm -hmm. And uh, a subway train rolled into the station and three of the cars passed over her and it broke her back. It damaged her spine and she yeah. was left paraplegic. So mm -hmm. she wasn't able to walk. She spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Yeah. And so, um, you know, our, our lives literally changed from one minute to the next. And so there I was like live, living this kind of sort of successful New York creative life. Um, as we were, You know, we. And suddenly, um, in a minute, I had to reorganize, I mean, reorient my whole life. I, I suddenly, all the things that I had thought were important, the ways, the directions that I thought I was going in, mm -hmm. it suddenly just changed really drastically. And, you know, it, 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 I lost my meaning in my life. I really did. I, you know, my meaning had been to sort of, you know, be successful in my career and, you know, have my family and, and suddenly everything was thrown into chaos. So, yeah. you know, my wife, when she got out of the hospital, she focused on getting better at developing this new life at looking after our son and getting back to work. All those, she had a focus, but okay. I was really in kind of a in crisis. And yeah. so then one day I felt this urge to draw. I can't really explain it any other way. I mean, I had looked for other reasons to carry on. I had read books. I had talked to priests and ministers and rabbis and Buddhist monks. <laughs> Nothing had kind of satisfied me. But suddenly this desire to draw led me to go to, to my bathroom with a, with a sketchbook and a pen and to draw the contents of my medicine cabinet. 
And that experience for the first time gave me a sense of peace and purpose. Um, mm. I, felt, I felt focused. I felt clear. I felt, but most of all, I felt in the moment because yeah. I had been spending all this time over these months and years since the accident living in this kind of woeful future, you know, this bleak and dark place, like what is going to happen to us? How are we going to live? What's going to our life going to be? And then suddenly drawing made me be here and now. And that was really mm. calm. And so the next day I did a drawing of my wife sitting mm. on the couch and, <sighs> and drawing her made me again connected to her in this way. Like sure. I saw her for as she was in that moment as opposed to like oh here she is in a wheelchair oh what are we gonna do i suddenly saw her as like you know she was my best friend she was a woman i loved she was the mother of my son she was you know this great person mm. and drawing helped me to like clear away all the clouds and just see her as that so that kind of just became a really important thing for me and i just kept drawing I started carrying a sketchbook around with me. I started documenting my life. I started writing down little things about the world around me and seeing beautiful things for the first time. And sometimes the beauty was like, you know, a, a, a half-eaten tuna sandwich. And sometimes yeah. it was like my, you know, dog going to the bathroom on the street or sometimes, it was, you know, <laughs> somebody else sitting on the subway with me. It just like all the stuff around me, I just started to see it through drawing. And so, so did I think of myself as an artist? I don't know. I guess you could apply that label to it. That wasn't really my purpose. My purpose was like was to be a human being, and art yeah. was helping me do that. So that's a really long answer to. Uh, yeah. No. And it's it's wonderful. And, and you wrote about that time period in your book. I think it's called Everyday Matters, the New York yes. Diary. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so lovely because I read it, and then I feel like I know you, even though this is the first time we're talking here, right? <laughs> But, you know, it's so personal and you're really sharing all of these thoughts and feelings. Um, and how was sharing those diary entries and drawings with other people? How did that help the process of, of and how did how did art push you? Well, you know, I, I felt like and maybe it's like religion. You know, maybe it's like, you know, having a religious conversion and then you want to just go out and tell other people about it. Maybe that's part of what it is. Yeah. Um, but I think it was also for me, this wasn't a secret. It wasn't even really private. It was like a discovery. Okay. And I thought, you know, this, like, if I can do this, other people can do this. And when we all do it, somehow it will become, I don't know, it'll just become a way of living. Like, I felt like, our whole perception of art, the art world, you know, which is something I, I refer to as like art with a capital A, the world of museums and galleries and auction houses and yeah. all that stuff. And that's like intimidating. And it seems like it's a, a professional class that I never felt qualified to be part of. You know, I didn't go to art school. I didn't have that kind of training. I, my son goes to RISD to art school and, and uh -huh. I, see, I see like the training that they give him in thinking that way. Um, but I didn't have that. And I felt like art is a really accessible tool that we all had when we were kids and we all used it to kind of orient ourselves in the world. And then it was kind of taken away from us. Mm -hmm. And so to me, like that has become, if I have a mission, that's kind of what it is, which is to say, we can all do this. We can mm -hmm. all have that experience. We can all spend our time 
or some portion of our time doing that. And that's why I wrote this book called Art Before Breakfast, yes. because I wanted to say the same thing, which is like, it doesn't take a lot of time, it doesn't take a lot of skill, it doesn't take a lot of training, it doesn't take a lot of tools to just pick up a pen and draw something. And when mm. you do, you'll have that little moment, you'll have that little connection to the now, you'll feel present, and that's mm. really great. And, and if the whole world operated like that, it would be great. Yeah. better and you know and it also deepens our appreciation of art with a capital a at the same time you know you can suddenly look at other people's art and understand it and have a have a you know extract more from it um and and get pleasure out of it that that will deepen your life too so by being an artist mm -hmm. you appreciate art and by appreciating art you appreciate life and isn't that the point <laughs> Well, I would agree, yes. <laughs> yeah, sure, I agree. <laughs> so what's your favorite thing about drawing? Why drawing over sculpture or, I don't know, dance or theater or anything else? Um, I think because it was simple and because it was intuitive and it didn't involve skills. I mean, I, I think certainly, you know, I think dancing is an extension. In other words, if I'm listening to a song on the radio and I dance, to me, that's sort of a similar feeling, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. I'm not, I, I, it's not where my orientation is. Um, and I think, I think certainly things like, I mean, I make different kinds of things. I write stuff, I make films, I do other kinds of things. But to me, drawing is just so basic. Like I can pick up a pen, I can draw on the back of an envelope and I can have that experience. It doesn't take much. Um, and so I can do it in two minutes or I could spend an hour doing it or I could do something more. But, but drawing to me is a gateway. Uh, it led me to doing watercolors. It led me in some cases to doing much bigger works. I've done like some bigger paintings that were like 10 or 11 feet long landscapes. Um, it led to that, but really drawing is the, is the kind of the basics. It's like, I don't know, it's the root. Mm -hmm. Throughout much of your writing, th there's this theme of savoring the messiness of life and, and carving out time for reflection. How does the artistic process help you with that? I think perfectionism is like, is a real plague, um, mm -hmm. you know, and being a creative professional as I am, I've spent all these years working with designers and filmmakers and, and other kinds of creative professionals and, and particularly working in advertising, which is very much about polishing, polishing, polishing. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, um, my own personal art making is about, um, accidents. It's about acceptance, acceptance of failure. Um, mm -hmm. it's about turning mistakes into something else, learning from them as opposed to feeling, um, decimated by them. And so I, I, I think that that's, I think you've got to accept failure. You've got to learn from it. And when I look at my favorite artists, they are people who did that. I, I'm not, I, I, I'm less um, inclined to people who are, um, who are real fine craftsmen. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, but but the ones who I respond to are more, I guess I would call them sort of expressionistic, in okay. the sense that, that there's always um, an, an aspect of serendipity. Um, there's also just an acceptance that there's a lot of things going on that you don't necessarily have control over. <laughs> like um, sirens in the like background. <laughs> I mean, New York, New York is a place of constant chaos, but, but yeah. then accidents happen. Things come together and you have to also accept 
that you really have control over so little. And the story I told about my wife and what happened to her is, is an example of that. It was just like saying, when you try to live a really controlled life and you try to say, I'm going to manage every aspect of my life, guess what? Life is going to come up and smack you upside the head and say, no, that's not true. It's not, that doesn't work that way. Um, you have to be prepared for, um, for chance, for, for, for change. And also, you have to be willing to take risks. And taking risks means stepping into the unknown and saying, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm okay with it. I can deal with it. Um, whereas if you're really afraid of that, if you're really afraid of something happening that you can't control, I don't know how you progress because you just all you can do is retreat and, and oh. kind of cloak yourself and stuff. What advice would you give to your younger artist self? Um, stop being so afraid. I think, again, I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm lucky now I'm 55, so I've had like lots of mistakes to make over these many years. But I think when I was younger, I was really cocksure, you know, arrogant, mm -hmm. sure that I knew. But deep underneath that was a lot of fear. And a lot of mm. uh, fear of making mistakes. And, and actually, I do get to talk to my younger self because of my son. My son is 21, <laughs> and he's about to graduate from art school. Uh -huh. And I talk to him about that, and he's a really different person than me because I'm able to, to I mean, for an, an, a host of reasons. But one of them, I think, is that I'm able to say to him, don't worry about it. You know, yeah. just go ahead, screw up, take risks, you know, go in different directions, see what happens. And I think he's a lot less anxious person than I was for most of my life he's okay. able he's confident and he's able to to do things for i think the right reasons which is not just about you know guaranteeing success but really more about seeing what's going to happen taking risks doing experiments and i wish i'd done that earlier but i but i guess i wasn't ready to so life is what it is oh <laughs> what's the main message you're trying to convey with your work um I think that 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 life is pretty great, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the way you think it's going to be, mm -hmm. um, and that the things that are great about it are often small things, things that may seem messy, but actually that's what it is. And and I think it's also that life isn't really big things; it's small things, and it's many mm -hmm. many small things in a row, and then you die, you know. But you take you have yeah. to take all these little things into consideration and. And you have to realize that, like, you're never going to get there. You know, you're never going to get there. It's just going to be, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a road that you're looking at what's happening to you right now. And if your eyes are always on the horizon, you're always thinking about where are you going to get, you're going to miss what you're happening, what's happening to you now. So mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of as much as anything what I want people to get out of it is to say there's a lot of really cool things around you right now. You can um, make art about them without you know, beating yourself up too much and life will be much better if you do. And also be productive, like make a bunch of stuff. Most of it will mm. suck, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and you also can't judge whether it sucks right now anyway. Right. You'll look back on it years from now and you go, wow, I always remember that as being much worse than it was and actually it was pretty cool. Or that thing well, I thought, was so <laughs> yeah, it didn't really, didn't really stand the test of time. So like just trust yourself and, and do stuff. So what big projects do you have currently in the works? I know you've got a book coming out and um, and then you have a, an online art school. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have a book coming out um, 
any day now, which is called Shut Your Monkey. I just got the first copies of it. And the, the subtitle of it is, is How to Control Your Inner Critic and Get More Done. So it's kind of what I was just talking about, like how to that voice that we all have and creative people have it more than anybody. And that voice is basically saying to you, don't take risks, you know, stay where you are, be comfortable. And any new thing sends it into paroxysms of anxiety and, and shrill shrieking in your ear. So, so basically it's to say like, you know what, here's where, here's what that voice is. Here's where it comes from. Here's what it's doing to you. Mm-hmm. And here's to, here's how to, you can't get rid of it. But here's mm. how to live it. We all have it, but there are ways that you can get, you can incorporate it into your life. You can actually use it to make you better, but also you can get it out of your way so you can keep doing stuff. And finally, you should. The world needs you. The world needs creative people now more than ever. There are, mm. you know, really important challenges that we're all facing. And, you know, creative people, not just artists, but all kinds of creative people are really essential to to making the world manageable and better. So, so that's, that's shut your monkey. Um, um, I sketchbook school is an online school that I have, which is it's school with a K um, because it's not like a regular school. It's kind of a messed up misspelled kind of school, um, <laughs> but it's really about all these things that I was talking about here. Like how can you, whether you are a person who hasn't drawn since you were 10 or whether you are, an, an artist or a creative person who is just wants to get back to to playing, to experimenting, to learning, to having varied experiences. What can you do to to proceed? So, so the idea of the of the school is every week you get a different teacher, and these are oh. all they're all illustrators and artists and designers and um, teachers of different kinds. Oh. But each week it's a different person and a different person with a different style, different set of priorities, different set oh. of experiences. And they take, and it's kind of like, what would it be like to hang out with these different artists? What would it be like to go there and spend a day with them? That's kind of what the experience is. So it's all these little documentaries that we make where oh, the artist okay. kind of tells you about their life. Here's what my life is like. Okay. Um, here's, here's, here's what my story is. Here's my experience. Um, here's what I've learned. But also, here are the tools I use. Here's my studio. Let's pull some sketchbooks off the shelf and look through them and let me tell you some stories about them. And then sit down and watch me make something okay so is is a lot of it video based then because you're seeing the artist's studio and you're seeing okay and and it's like really high quality because again i have 30 years in the advertising business so i'm really good at making films and so we hire professional crews and we make a documentary about this person um and they and then and then at the end they give you an assignment and the assignment is kind of coming out of what they've been talking about and then you get to you share your work online. But what's great about it is we have this community of thousands of people, and they're all kinds of people, as I said. And they're so so really, it's not a teacher coming in saying, "Well, I would make that bigger," or you, know, you might want to think about using yellow here. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's other artists, other creative people saying, "Here's what I like about what you did. Um, you know, here's how what, here's what this makes me think of." And so you're getting a lot of really positive um, input. But ultimately, our point is to say. No, none of these teachers is going to teach you to do what they do. They're going to all cumulatively teach you to do what you do and to kind of unleash that in you. So you're going to get a little taste of this, a little taste of that, but ultimately you're going to make you. You're going to make art that reflects who you are, and that's what matters, and that's an ongoing experience. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> Last question. Can't yeah. believe it. We're here. What 
is your favorite art book or story? It could be a personal story that happened to you or something very inspiring. My favorite art book? Um, boy, you know, I mean, I have several favorite artists, hmm. but, um, and, you know, my favorite artist of all is, is Vincent van Gogh. Hmm. Uh, and I would say the book Lust for Life, which was written by Irving Stone in the 1950s, <laughs> is to me about this, like this, the struggle to be an artist. You know, here's Van Gogh, who's the guy who decided when he was, you know, 30 to become an artist in the face of every kind of opposition, including from within his own head. And, you know, he just became so passionate about making art that he just made a huge amount of it. And in the process, he learned so much about the way the world works and how art works. And that is really inspiring to me to go back to that story over again in, in the many forms it takes. Lust for Life is just one. You know, there been, but something about Van Gogh and his, there's a, something so pathetic about him. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also something like so inspiring about his, his passion for art and his this endless discovery and the fact that it's outside of the art world. You know, he has like little encounters with the art world, but most of it is just like, what can I teach myself? What can I discover? And that's really been my course as well. You know, it's like, what can I teach myself and what can I learn from him? And, and you know, I went, I mean, I've seen so many of his paintings, but going to the Van Gogh Museum and they had this exhibit that was about his process. And mm -hmm. there was this box that they had there of something I'd never heard of before, which is he made balls of, of yarn for each of his paintings. What? <laughs> yes. It's, what? It's, I know. It's not a thing that anybody really thinks about, but he would make, he would take the different colors that he was going to use in a painting and he would combine them into a ball of yarn. And he had, there's this box there in the museum, which is all these different balls of yarn that he made sitting in this box. And you look at it and as soon as you look at it, you go, Van Gogh. You know, you just look at these color combinations and you say, yeah, that's totally him. And to huh. me, that, that was so beautiful and so kind of humble and sort of odd and i just thought that was really great like he's kind of invented this thing that like maybe now we would use photoshop to make swatches or something okay he did this weird little thing to say like hmm that's how i'm going to look at it so i love oh. that I, and i and i just like that little kind of battered box of, of <laughs> yarn balls too oh, wonderful well thank you so much danny gregory it yes. means so much for me uh, to me for you to come and chat with me today. So thank you. Yes. Yeah. So if, you know, if anybody wants to know, you know, to ask me questions or mm -hmm. to give me, you know, brutal comments, you know, just, <laughs> you know, come to my website or my blog. I write this blog uh -huh. several times a week if I can. Oh. And um, I write about different things. So Danny Gregory's blog.com. Okay. And now for a folk tale from India. It's called The Three Dolls. Once upon a time, there was a king who loved riddles. He sent a message out to all of his people to ask them to send him riddles so that he could try to solve them. Many people sent these puzzles to the king, and usually he could figure them out in an instant because he was very clever. One day, the king received a very strange package. He opened the gift, and inside he found three dolls. They were elegantly dressed in silk robes. They each had jet black, real human hair woven into their heads. They each had the same carved noses and chins. In fact, the three dolls looked exactly alike. 
at the bottom of the box, there was a piece of paper. And it read, these dolls may look alike, but they are very different. The riddle is, how are they different? Well, the king looked at the dolls again. He could find no scratch or mark to distinguish the dolls one from another. He could not figure out the answer to the riddle. After sitting and thinking for some time, the king called in one of his wise advisors. He told the wise man the riddle and showed him the dolls. The wise man walked around and around the dolls, twisting his beard as he thought. The wise man circled and circled the dolls, saying nothing for hours. Finally, the king said, stop, that's enough, you may leave. Sad that the wise man could not solve the riddle, the king sat down on his throne to think again. Suddenly he jumped up. Fools rush in where wise men fear to tread. If a wise man could not answer the riddle, I should ask a fool. So a fool was brought to the castle. The king told the fool the riddle and showed him the dolls. The fool picked up the dolls and started juggling them in the air. Dollies, ah, ha, 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 he shouted. After a minute of this, the king said, stop, that's enough, you may leave. Sad that the fool could not solve the riddle, the king hung his head to think some more. Then he thought of the artist. The artist lived in the village where he would paint murals on the houses and bend wood into sculptures. He would share stories with the children and play his flute in the mornings. Sometimes the artist seemed very wise to the king, and other times he seemed to be a bit of a fool. <laughs> The king called for his guards to bring the artist to him. As soon as the artist arrived, the king told him the riddle and showed him the dolls. The artist studied the dolls and then said, Well, I, I found that the inside of a person can be very different from the outside, and I can get to the inside either through their eyes or their ears. Now, we can't get inside the eyes of these dolls, but I think we can get inside the ears. The king nodded his head in agreement, okay. The artist pulled three strands of hair from his head, and then taking one hair, he poked it through the ear of the first doll. The hair went into the brain of the doll and wound itself into a nest. Ah, said the artist, this doll is a wise one, for she has taken something in and held it. The artist then poked the second hair into the ear of the next doll. It went into the brain and came out the other ear. The air, hair fell on the table. This doll is a fool, declared the artist, for what she has heard went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> the artist picked up the last strand of hair and pushed it into the ear of the third doll. The hair twisted around the brain and then came out of the mouth. Ah, this doll is an artist, he said, for what she has heard she has chosen to share with others. The king smiled and said, I believe you have solved the riddle. Thank you. My thoughts on this story. So I think that the instinct to share our joys hopes, dreams, and injustices drive so many artists. And 
the best work shares common elements of the human experience that can be labeled as having a classic timeless quality. When these common elements or archetypes are expressed through art, the work resonates a chord with the viewer. Regardless of our background, age, or time period, a person can look at that work and see themselves in it. And so when we see something and then we share it through our work, that's when we get those aha moments. That's when um, artwork is pushing us forward. The work, it'll be successful because it has voiced a universal truth or an individual truth. <laughs> but that work will be successful because the artist has the courage to be honest. Source. So this is a folk tale originally from India. And it was adapted by the storyteller David Novak, who is an amazing storyteller. Um, he uh, shared it in the book, Ready to Tell Tales. Uh, this story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. If you love this podcast and want to receive a monthly update on the newly released shows, you can sign up for my newsletter at azirfineart.com. And there's also a donation button on the podcast page if you'd like to make a donation. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.